That's the most kids I've ever seen going to children's church. Amen. Some of y'all are saying how lucky they are they get to go out. <laughs> uh, a lot of lot of chest, a lot of chest puffing going on this morning. Some of y'all, your teams won, uh, and a lot of humility among some of you. The Clemenses are so humble this morning in their loss. They put orange Tennessee bows in their children's hair. Did y'all notice that? Patty told me they was gonna go with the flow. Amen. <laughs> oh. It all changes, people. It all goes in cycles. So uh, if you would, we're going to talk about God's will this morning. As you're standing, let me say thank you, Kelly, for being here this morning and for blessing us with that song. And um, thank you. And thank you, Darren. Darren has been very sick this week, had a lot of problems with his voice, but he uh, came on this morning and led us in worship. So Would you stand this morning as we read God's word together and we begin to talk about following God's will. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 12, the first four verses here. Let me do this disclaimer at the beginning of the sermon. Abram is who we're going to read about here. Later on, Abram's name changes to Abraham. So during this sermon, I'm going to use the name Abram. I'm going to use the name Abraham. I'm talking about the same person. Don't think I'm confused, all right? Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Father, bless the reading of the word, bless the preaching, bless the hearing. Lord, help us to take what we hear, apply it to our lives, and to follow your will every day of our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking about life-changing moments that happened to all of us, and I was thinking uh, about graduations and first days of work and and marriage proposals and wedding days and births and I was thinking about how those events shape us and make us and they change our lives when those things happen but I read an article about a woman who lives in Chechnya and they have documentation of her passports and of her work certificates and they have other verifications And they uh, recently have stumbled upon her, and by all of her records, she was born on June the 1st, 1889. You think about that. All of her records indicate that she is 129 years old. And as they sit and interview her, her mind is very clear, and she talks about remembering the fall of the Russian czar, She talks about the world wars that she remembers. But two life-changing events stick out to her. One was when she was 54 years old in 1944, Stalin loaded up every one of her family and every one of her ethnicity and put them on trains and sent them away 
to uh, what were basically concentration type camps. And she said that as she got on the train, she had no idea where she was going. She had no idea why she was being loaded on the train. She had no idea what would happen to her family. She talked about family members of hers who died on the train in passage. And she talked about how for the next 13 years that that moment weighed on her and had an effect on her. And she said that she felt like that God himself was punishing her by keeping her alive. But she said that the other life-changing moment came after the death of Stalin and after she was able to get on another passenger train and go back to her homeland. And she said when she went into her village, she expected her home to have been destroyed. But she said there set her home that she had been forced to evacuate some 13 years before. And she said that the great moment of her life was when she was able to walk back into the home that she herself had helped build with her own hands and know that her life was back to where it was should, should have been for those 13 years. Now, hopefully in our lives, none of us will ever suffer through anything quite as tragic or that life-changing, but we read in scriptures and God gives us insight to a life-changing moment for a man named Abram. Now, this life-changing moment, it not only changes his life, it changes the course of all human history, and it changes eternity for every generation that would follow. Now, Abram is a man of great wealth. Abram is what we would call a self-made man. He is a very respected man where he lives. His nephew Lot is also a wealthy person. They live there together. They, they have a built up a, a, their own type of family, their own type of little civilization there. And they're doing wonderful. They're doing great. And all of a sudden, Abram is met by God, and he is asked to completely trust God in every aspect of his life greater than anyone else that we've seen in Scripture up to this point. Following God's will takes complete trust in our lives. It takes a complete trust. Now, think about this. What if someone came to your school or your work or your home and they walked into, into that place where you are and they said to you, here's what, we, here's, here's what we want you to do. We want you to get up at this moment we want you to leave your family. We want you to leave your home. We want you to leave your community. We want you to leave everything that you know, everything that you love, everything that you have in this life, and we want you just to leave it and go, and we're not going to tell you where you're going. How many, uh, show of hands, how many are you jumping up and volunteering for that trip? No, none of us. Because we, we want to know. We want to have certainty. We want to know. And... But what someone, they're, they're asking you just to close your eyes and ask no questions. Now, Abram had to trust God with a completely unknown future. Here's what I like. I like certainties. I like guarantees. 
I like knowing what tomorrow is going to be like. How about you? I don't like surprises. I'm not a person who likes to get things just out of the blue. Now, I can tell you that being in ministry every day can be a surprise. You have no idea when you wake up what that day may hold for you. And if there are days, or if there's weeks where you get to come in and you get to go to the office and you get to read and you get to study and you get to write sermons and you get to do that for four or five days, that's a, that's a, that's a really good week if there's no emergencies and there's no situations that you have to deal with. Um, some people, uh, as we get older, um, I talked to a person yesterday and they, uh, we were talking about change. And I was talking about, you know, I've always been a person who, you know, uh, I, I want to change this or I want to change that. And now I'm in my early 50s and I'm realizing that I don't like change as much as I used to like it. And the person who I was talking to is about 10 years older than me. And they said, oh, just wait. You had not seen anything yet. It gets worse. You'll love a good rut. You'll love just to get into a good rut and stay there. Now. We know that to progress and move ahead, we have to have change, and we have to we have to identify with those kind of things. But Abram here, he's about to make a change that no one else has had to make before. And as you look at Scripture, probably no one else has to make this great change. God says go, but he doesn't tell him where. God says, Abram, get up and go, but I'm not going to tell you where to go. He tells Abram, you're going to become a great nation, Abram is thinking, I don't even have a son, and you're not explaining to me how this is going to happen. Later on, God is even going to ask Abraham to sacrifice his son without explaining to him why. The theologian John Calvin said that it's almost as if God is saying, Abram, just close your eyes and take my hand and commit your future to me. Just close your eyes and take my hand and commit my, your future to me. Now think about the call of Jesus in your, on your life. Think about the call of Jesus on your life at salvation. I know from my own personal testimony, I, had, I was um, in, in my mid-late 20s, I had, I had spent all of my time running away from God, trying to avoid a situation. I, I, I didn't go to church anymore. And simply not because I didn't like church, I would go. I, I would go to Sunday school and leave. As an adult, I would go to Sunday school and leave before big church, as I called it, because I didn't want to go and hear someone preach to me and have conviction in my heart and have to deal with it. I had spent years and years running away in in that manner. But one evening, there in a bedroom. God opened the door, the Holy Spirit came in and spoke to me and pointed me to Jesus. And, and at that moment, my life changed. Now, when Jesus called me that evening, he didn't guarantee me the future. He didn't tell me what it was going to be like. He didn't give me a promise of, of, uh, you know, about what it was going to be like. Now, in John chapter 14, I knew that he had promised that he would take me someday to be with him in heaven. And that was what mattered at the moment. I knew that at that moment he was promising me forgiveness and he was promising me for the first time in my life to allow me to have peace and an ease of conscience and not guilt in my heart. I knew that he was promising to go with me through thick and through thin and I knew that he was promising my ultimate good 
And he did because he gave me a purpose after that evening. Now, he didn't say to me, Michael, if you come into this relationship with me, everything from this point on is going to be smooth sailing. Did he promise any of you that? He didn't promise me smooth sailing. As a matter of fact, the seas have gotten quite rough at, at some times. But I want to tell you this. I would rather be moving forward in some rough seas than to be sitting in a dry dock riding. I would rather be out there with Jesus in the, in the rough seas than just sitting around rotting. He didn't say, Michael, I'm going to pro solve every problem that you have. And he didn't say that you're going to have a life of peace and ease and you're never going to want for anything. Let me tell you this morning, if you are looking for those guarantees before you turn to Christ, you're not going to get them. And you're not going to sit and negotiate with Jesus. You can't require things of Christ. Here's what happens. He calls you to trust him and his word alone and to be completely satisfied in trusting him and him alone. He gives you an invitation. Now, at, at this point here in Abram's life, God's actually giving him an invitation. He doesn't say, Abram, I'm forcing you to do this. He's saying, if you obey me and you get up and move, these are the things that will happen. He gives him an invitation. Now, we get lots of invitations at our house. We get, we get probably three, four dozen invitations a year. And here's what we started doing with those invitations because we're getting older and we forget stuff. We started taking those invitations and taking refrigerator magnets, and what we'll do is we'll take that invitation and we'll put a refrigerator magnet on it, and we'll put it right there at the refrigerator because where are we going four or five times a day? We're going to that refrigerator door, and we're going to open it, and we're going to look inside, and there's that invitation. We're smart. We're, we're geniuses at my house. We, we devise that all ourselves. None of the rest of y'all do that, do you? We're the smartest people in Piedmont. Guess what happens? We get so many invitations that start, you, you, take, you get an invitation in the mail, and what do you do? You go and you stick it on the refrigerator, but here's what we don't do. We don't take the old invitations down and move them somewhere. All those invitations are there. I've missed two weddings this year because their invitation got stuck behind all the other invitations, and I didn't know it was happening. I'm not so smart then, am I, Randy? You're wanting to say it. Go ahead. But here's what. God's invitations don't get lost in the shuffle. God's invitations are clear. God's invitations are concise. God's invitations are backed by the power of God, the Holy Spirit. And those invitations, if accepted, they change everything in our life. God's invitation to Abram challenges him to abandon his identity and security. Abram's identity and security were built on two things, his family and his wealth. Abram was identified as being the head of this family with his nephew Lot, and he was identified by his wealth. Those were the things that, that, that identified him. People, uh, if, if someone says, do you know Michael Ingram? He's a pastor. People identify me as a pastor. They may identify you by your work. They may identify you when you have kids, all of a sudden you're not Michael anymore. 
you're your kids, you know, he's Grayson's dad or he's Bryson's dad or, you know, or that, you know, we are identified by our work and our families and those kind of things. Abraham has his identity and his security in these things. And to obey, Abram must trust God completely, and he has to give up his identity in those things. But the promised outcomes are conditional on his complete obedience. So he has to trust. And here's what happens. Following God will bless you, but it will also bless other people. Now, suddenly and unexpectedly, God interjects himself into Abram's life. Abram actually lives where he is. There's not worship of God. They worship the moon. And so God all of a sudden interjects himself into Abram's life and says, I am the one true God. I have this for you, and I'm going to cause you uh, to set a new agenda. And not only is it going to be a new agenda for your life, but it's going to be a new agenda for your descendants. This is the turning point in the book of Genesis. The first 11 chapters are about individuals and about their individual lives. Now, all of a sudden, in Genesis chapter 12, God changes everything, and it becomes about Abram and his family and his descendants and them becoming a great nation that will later become known as the nation of Israel. And from that great nation will spring the descendants and the lineage of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Abram is going to become the channel of blessing to every family that lives on the earth. God says to him, I will make your name to be great. Now just one chapter back in chapter 11, a group of men got together in Babel and they were going to build a tower all the way to heaven and they said that when we complete this tower, our names will be great and people will know who we are and we will have accomplished the greatest thing that's ever been accomplished on earth and God scatters them, confuses their language and God's plan is, I have a man named Abram and I'm going to make his name great and he's going to, his name is going to glorify me, and his nation is going to glorify me, and everyone in the earth is going to be blessed because of him. Abram is called to be a blessing to other people. But a lot is going to rest on how other people treat Abram. God says those who treat you in a positive way, those who bless you are going to experience my favor. He says those people who despise you are going to know my greatest wrath and displeasure. As you read through the book of Genesis, and you see there are complete bloodlines that cease to exist because of their treatment of this man. The influence of Abram is so great that every family of the earth will be blessed in him. The nation of Israel that is formed from his descendants Jacob, his grandson, will become named Israel, and he, he will have 12 sons who will be the, the tribes of Israel. And as they go into the land of Canaan, they are to go there, and they are to be an example, and they are to be a blessing to every nation that is around them. How successful are they in this endeavor? They don't do real good. As a matter of fact, they fail miserably, because they become like the nations that are around them. 
they blend in and they take on the culture of these people and the worship of those people, and God punishes them severely. Now today, you and I, as followers of Jesus, we have the opportunity in our everyday lives to be a blessing and to be an example and to be a witness to everyone who is around us. You see, God didn't call Abram to make a small change. If God has ever called you to make a small change, then you should count yourself blessed. Because most of the time when God calls us to make a change, what kind of change is it? It's a complete change. It's a 180 in our lives. Most of the time when God calls us to make a change, it's not a small change. He calls Abram here to a completely brand new life, completely different than what he was before. Abram is not to be concerned with how much he possesses. He's not to be concerned with how much he can provide from himself, for himself. He is to be concerned with one thing, and that is trusting God and being completely dependent upon God and giving God his life so that God can use him to be a blessing to everyone else. Now, Abram has built a great kingdom for himself, and now he's called to begin building God's great kingdom. Now, following God is not just adding a little bit of God to your life. Following God is not just saying, hey, I'm going to follow God, so I'll go, to, I'll go to church on Sunday morning, maybe every now and then on Sunday evening and Wednesday evening I'll go, I'll get involved in something there, I'll volunteer for something, and I'll compartmentalize that. That'll be, that'll be the time I give to God. That'll be the things that I do for God. That's not what God calls us. God calls us that every bit of our lives are to be His. And everything in our lives are to be His. We don't just add God to our lives. God becomes our life. It means making God our trust for our future and that we delight in the things that delight Him. So then we see that, Mo, uh, that Moses... Okay, I said I'd call him Abraham, now I've called him Moses. Now you understand how I lose invitations on the refrigerator. Abraham has to do this. Abraham, who is probably a calculated man, who's probably not a great risk taker, who's probably amassed his fortune and in his business dealings, by, by being savvy and by being smart and by being calculated and, and, and knowing how to do things. He's not somebody who wakes up in the morning and decides, I'm going to sell everything I own and, and, and buy something different and, and, and we'll, you know, we'll try this for a while. Abram is a person who is concrete and solid. And all of a sudden, God is asking him to change his whole nature and believe the impossible. To believe the impossible and to believe that by not being that person, that God is going to bless him even greater. But notice this. Four times in these verses, what does God say? 
God says, I will show you. I will bless you. I will bless those. I will curse. God says, Abram, it's not up to you. It's up to me. It's not up to you and the feeble strength that you have as a man. It's up to me. Yeah, Abram, you've got a whole lot of stuff, but guess what? I created everything. I'm in control of everything. Everything you have is really mine, and I can take it or I can give you more. In other words, don't doubt God. If God lays something on your heart, don't doubt God. Don't doubt him for a minute. If God is, is laid on your heart that you are supposed to, to, to teach a Sunday school class, don't you doubt it. But you get up and you accept that challenge from God and you go teach that class, it may be a children's class. But there may be a child in there who needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and you may be the one who provides that message for them and they may come to know Christ as a result and may grow up to be in this day where we don't have people proclaiming the gospel, may grow up to be a great evangelist or a great preacher. You never know. You never know what that's what you think is that small or insignificant call on your life may lead you somewhere later on to be. Um, I ran from salvation. I ran from giving my life over to God. I had ran so long that immediately when God said, you're, you're supposed to preach, I didn't run from that. I thought, you know, I ran for so many years. If I run for many more years, I won't, I'll be so old I can't do anything. So I immediately gave in. And if nothing else, if nothing else through that, there have been people through the messages and my, being obedient to God, there have been people who have come to altars and who have asked for forgiveness of their sins, repented of their sins, and who now have eternity secure in heaven. I'm not saying I'm the only one who could have preached that sermon, but I'm the one who God called to preach it. And so I was obedient in doing it, and because of that, some, there are people whose lives have been changed. Now, God's plan for Abram is much bigger. It has national and international consequences. Abram has to believe the impossible. He has no children, and his wife Sarah is barren, yet God is saying, from you, Abram, I'm going to build a nation that is, you, you could go out and look up at the stars in the sky, and, and the number will be even greater than the sands of the sea, sands on the seashore. Abram has to believe the impossible, but not only does he have to believe it, then he has to get up and act on it. If he just believed it and said, okay, God, that sounds good, that's a real good plan, and he'd have just sat there, then it's for nothing. When God calls us, we have to believe that he's going to use our lives for blessing and that he's going to give us the resources that we need to accomplish the will that he's called us to. It might seem impossible, but God is calling you to close your eyes and take his hand and let him lead the way. The blessings of Abraham set the stage for the story of Israel, but also for the story of Jesus Christ and his church. In Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, Luke references many times back to Abraham and the lineage of Abraham and Christ coming from there. In Acts chapter 3 verse 25, 
Simon Peter confirms that every nation on the earth would be blessed by Abraham's obedience. God's gracious provision of secure salvation in Christ is not just offered to a privileged few. It's offered for the entire world. Matthew 28 and 19, Jesus told the disciples to go into every nation and preach the gospel and baptize and make disciples of other people. Now, Abram has this moment of opportunity. This moment of opportunity comes to him out of the blue, out of nowhere. He's living his life. He's doing his thing. He has plans for tomorrow. He has plans for next week. And all of a sudden, God interjects himself into his life and calls a timeout and says, Abram, here is this once-in-a-lifetime moment, this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that you have before you. Maybe this morning there are some of you who could raise your hand and you could tell me about that moment of opportunity that God gave you, and I'll guarantee you that almost every one of you would say the same thing, that it took you apart from the world you were living in at the time, and you had to pull yourself apart from something and give yourself completely over in obedience to God. Abram had to pull himself away from his dependence on himself and his dependence on his wealth, and this morning he is an example of how in complete obedience God's will is accomplished in his life and because of his complete obedience, a nation springs up, and out of that nation, a Messiah comes, and out of that, because that Messiah came and gave his life on a cross at Calvary, you and I this morning have the opportunity to know Christ in complete surrender and complete uh, forgiveness of our sins, and it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to know that we have that, that we have that salvation. Every person is going to have a moment like that sooner or later. And here's what we have to ask ourselves. When that moment of opportunity comes for us, will we trust God in that moment and not sit and think about and weigh the cost and worry about what's going to happen down the road but will we trust God at that moment and let him change our lives forever? This morning, the greatest opportunity that anyone will ever have is the opportunity to come and to know Jesus Christ in salvation. To come and to say, I want to repent of my sins. I want to turn away from the life I'm living. I want to be forgiven of my sins. And I want to know that my home is in eternity in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the greatest opportunity that you will ever have. Maybe there are some of you here this morning and God has spoken to your heart through the last week or through the last month or maybe he's been speaking to you for quite some time and he's been showing you opportunities for ministry and opportunities for, for other things for you to do and opportunities for you to grow in your relationship with him and you've just kind of been holding on and not willing to let go. Look at what let look at what letting go accomplishes when we do.
Look at what giving our lives completely over to God accomplishes when we do. Abram is, our, is a great example of that obedience. This morning, I want to give you an opportunity. If you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to come this morning and to say, I want to know Jesus Christ, and I want to know that I have an eternity with Him, that beginning this morning, my whole eternity is safe and secure with the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't been obedient in baptism. I have witnessed people come forward in baptism and, and be obedient in that, and other people begin to ask themselves the questions about salvation and become led, come led to Christ in salvation because someone was obedient and going forward in baptism. Whatever it is that God is dealing with your heart this morning about, now is a perfect time for you to come. Now is a great moment of opportunity for you to be obedient. For you to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. As you stand and daring comes, will you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning as obediently as we possibly know how. God, asking your Holy Spirit to take words of Scripture and apply them to our hearts and to help us know that you have a will and a plan for our lives and that you have something you want to accomplish. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us this morning and whatever we need to be obedient in, we would move and we would give ourselves over to you. Father, if there are those here this morning who don't know Christ as Savior, they want to begin that relationship. God, speak to them through your Holy Spirit and give them the courage to let go and to give their lives to you. Whatever it is we need to pray for this morning, help us to be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen.